Friends, our gospel lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. But first, let us pray. Gracious God, open our eyes, unstop our ears, and fling wide open the doors of our hearts, that we would hear your voice this day. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I am a virgin. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, she has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to have been barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am. A servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hail Mary, full of grace. That is the first line of the first prayer I ever remember learning. Actually, it's not so much that I remember learning it, it's that I can't remember ever not knowing it. In English, anyways. I do remember learning it in Spanish. It was on my very first day of high school Spanish class, a printed copy of that prayer, en espanol, was taped to each one of our desks, and before the teacher even took attendance, we prayed to the Mother of God with accents so bad and pronunciation so jumbled that even Mary, full of grace, surely grimaced. Dios te salve, Maria, llena eres de gracia. Now to some of you, that story might reveal that I grew up Catholic or at the very least that I attended Catholic school. For the record, both of those statements are true because in the, in the words of James Luck, Mary has become something of an inkblot test to us. Everyone sees her differently and as they need to see her. Anti-feminists hold her up as the model of the obedient woman who embraces her rightful place within the family. Feminists champion this strong woman who has no need of a man in her life. Greek and Russian Orthodox believers adore her 
worshiping her as the Theotokos, or the God-bearer. Secularists mock her as a symbol of the irrationality and antiquity of Christian thought. Catholics exalt her as the Queen of Heaven. Hallmark romanticizes her, and the U.S. Postal Service puts her on a stamp every Christmas. As for Protestants, well, he says we don't really know what to do with her. So for the most part, we ignore her or we minimize her, making her something of a porcelain figurine in our nativity set, fragile, breakable, and packed away for most of the year. That's one reason why it can be good to look at these Christmas stories out of season when we can read them with a bit more objectivity. Because chances are, if I read this to you in December, you'd be thinking, oh yes, this story, I know that one. But when I read it just a moment ago, chances are at least one of you somewhere was thinking, has the pandemic finally gotten to her? Has she lost track not just of days, but of entire seasons of the year? And I bet that chances are good that somewhere, at least one of you, was thinking, Jenny, what the heck? For the record, what the heck is a very biblical question to ask. Our translation this morning, the New Revised Standard Version, well, it puts it this way. Mary was much perplexed by the angel's words and pondered what sort of greeting it might be. In other words, what the heck? She was so troubled by this intrusion into her regularly scheduled life that the angel's next words are an attempt to soothe her or reassure her. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Those of you with kids, or those of you who are kids, or those of you who have ever observed a kid or been a kid, let me ask you this. When do you tell a kid not to run? You tell them not to run, A, when they're running and you need them to stop, or B, when the circumstances are so ripe for running that you know it is likely to happen and you are issuing a preemptive instruction. You do not tell them not to run if they're sitting on the couch eating ice cream. The angel tells Mary not to be afraid because he can either see on her face that she's afraid or he knows the situation he's about to lay out to her is, by all objective measure, completely terrifying. And the angel doesn't say there's nothing to be afraid of. He says, don't be afraid, because angels, the messengers of God, they don't mess around, and they cannot lie. This is going to be deeply unsettling, Mary, but do not be afraid, because God is with you, and God has a hand in all of this. Then the angel lays out the proposal that will turn Mary's life completely upside down. So, of course, her reply is, what the heck? We don't know much about Mary's background. What we do know, that she is a virgin and that she is from Nazareth. 
Well, that suggests that she's very young and that she has very little. Very little standing, very little money, very little social support, very little potential for anything other than an incredibly mundane life. As one of my other preacher friends puts it, she's a no one from nowhere. All of which is to say, she is almost certainly not walking around expecting the Holy Spirit to come upon her and the power of the Most High to overshadow her. And yet. Now legend has it in some traditions that Mary was actually not the first person to be asked to be the mother of God. She was just the first person to say yes. Our translation doesn't include that, but it doesn't preclude it either. Either way, God finds a way through someone who is willing to say yes. So ultimately, Mary is the one person who knows Jesus every day of his life. She says yes, and then she carries him and gives birth to him. She nurses him and bathes him. She teaches him how to walk and how to pray. He is her flesh and her blood. So when, as a young adult... Around 30 years old, he tries to explain to her this feeling he has that God is calling him to something very particular that only he can do. And he tells her that he needs to leave home to do it. She wants to resist it with every bone in her body. I suspect she came up with a really long list of reasons why it is a terrible idea, a risky idea, a harebrained scheme, an idea that would, if nothing else, utterly break her heart. Because she is a good mother. And that's what mothers do. But then I suspect she remembers the day the angel came to her, and she finds the courage to say that holy word again. Yes. So not long after that, when fishermen ask Jesus, can we follow you? He says the word that gave him life and that defined his life. He says the word his mother taught him. Yes. And when the blind come and ask for healing, and the lame come and ask to walk again, and the lepers come and ask for cleansing, Jesus says yes. And when the sinful ask for forgiveness, and the outcast ask for acceptance, and the lonely ask for company, Jesus says yes. And when the hungry ask to be fed, and the frightened ask for peace, and the brokenhearted ask for comfort, Jesus says yes. When the wealthy ask if they have to change and the religious legalists ask if he has any idea what he's saying and the authorities ask if he's serious, Jesus says yes. And when they ask if the Samaritans were safe and if the prodigal could be saved and if the least really had to be taken seriously, Jesus says yes. And then when they ask if women are trustworthy and if LGBTQ folks are beloved and if black and brown lives matter, Jesus says yes.
There is so much about the world we live in right now that makes us uncomfortable. And we do not like to be uncomfortable. Nobody does. But before we push all of that discomfort aside, before we ask, can't we please talk about anything else? Can't we move on? Can't things just go back to normal? Before we ask for those things, let us consider this incredibly pregnant moment in which we find ourselves. I don't know why it's happening now. People of color have been crying out since before this country was a country. I don't know why it's now that those of us who are white are finally paying attention. Last week, the top 10 books on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list, all 10 of them were about race. Monuments to leaders of the Confederacy, they are starting to come down. Building names are being reconsidered. The NFL has said in a public statement, we were wrong for not listening earlier. And NASCAR, NASCAR has banned Confederate flags from all of its events and property. I don't know why it's happening now. Maybe it's a global health pandemic that has taken away everything we used to distract ourselves or excuse ourselves before. Maybe it's because we've finally been kept apart from one another long enough that we can see each other differently. Maybe it's because protests were just an acceptable reason to get out of the house. Maybe it's because the stars aligned. Maybe it's because the angels themselves finally said enough. I don't know why it's happening now. And on some level, why it's happening now matters less than whether or not we're going to let it slip through our fingers or if we're going to hold on tight, like Jacob held on to his angel, refusing to let go until it offered him a blessing, a blessing that granted him a new name, Israel, a blessing that all of a sudden was not just for him, but for all of God's children. I said before that Protestants, we don't really know what to do with Mary, but we can learn a lot from her. Jesus certainly did. But in the end, what matters isn't really what we do with Mary. It's what she allowed God to do through her. And that's the question to all of us. Meister Eckhart, a German theologian and philosopher and mystic, he once said that we are all meant to be mothers of God. And what he meant by that, I think, is that every single one of us, each and every single one of us, has the capacity to help give birth to the kingdom of God here on earth. Which is not to say that it will be easy. Because labor never is. More often than not, it's long and it's painful and it's scary. And it is a lot of effort for seemingly little result for a time. But once it begins, ultimately, eventually, there is no stopping it. I don't know why it's happening now. But I cannot shake the feeling that maybe, maybe, just maybe, there really are angels among us bending low and saying, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit will be with you and will never leave you. A new day will dawn and a new world will break forth because nothing is impossible with God. So what do you say? Now Mary, hail Mary, full of grace. She looked her angel square in the face and she said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Yes, let it be with me according to your word. Church, what will we say? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.